I'm Jessica Randolph, and welcome to the How to Buy a House podcast, where we empower you to invest in real estate and start building wealth for yourself. It's the biggest purchase of your life, and we're going to teach you how to do it right. Your host, Jessica Randolph, is an HGTV designer, a top realtor for over 10 years, winner of the National Association of Realtors 30 Under 30 Award, Rookie of the Year, number 11 realtor on social media in Tennessee, and most importantly, the founder of the How to Buy a House class. Jessica, take it away. You're listening to Smooth Jazz. Just kidding. You're listening to the How to Buy a House podcast. And we have got a great episode for you today. I cannot wait for you to hear from our Phoenix, Arizona teacher, Molly Avdi. Molly is a total sweetheart and also a total bad A. In 2021 alone, she sold over 76 homes and has been a top realtor of the Phoenix and Scottsdale market for the last four years. She started building her real estate portfolio in her early 20s and has grown that portfolio to be worth over $3 million since then. She's also the host of her famous Sip and Learn home buying workshop and is now, of course, our teacher for our How to Buy a House class in Phoenix. So without further ado, Molly, thank you so much for being with us today. Let's get into it. All right. Molly, hello. How are you? Hey, Jessica. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so excited to get into our topic today, which is really honestly the first baby step in home buying. So if you're thinking in terms of baby steps, this would be like the first toddler shoe that you would buy. This is the first step. Um, And that is what to do when you do feel like you're getting ready to think about buying and how to get yourself lined up to get pre-approved to buy a house. And Molly, I know you are an expert on all of this stuff. Before we get into our topic, I would love for you to just kind of educate our listener on who you are, why did you get into real estate, how long have you been in the business, and a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. First time home buying can be really daunting. So I'm excited to talk about that today with you. Yeah. Um, so I am Molly Avdi. My husband and I are Phoenix realtors and we service all of Metro Phoenix. We live in um, a little neighborhood called Arcadia just outside of Scottsdale. So we have been in the business cumulatively over eight years. Um, I've been a licensed agent the last five years and yeah, coming from a background and becoming and being a teacher it was a really good entry level for me to help educate first-time home buyers and and walk through that first step of home ownership with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that was one of the things I was so excited about to learn about you is that you were a teacher because all of our teachers across the country are now teaching and they're educating. And the fact that that's already in your blood is so great because so much of guiding somebody through the process is educating them. And again, that's why we have this podcast. That's why we have our in-person classes. So I think that's awesome that that's your background. Thanks. I'm excited to go back into a teaching environment. I definitely have missed it. And I mean, it'll be different teaching in front of adults versus just, you know, third graders, but (laughs) I do love educating. I'm passionate about home ownership. Like I've seen it change my life and it's what I do all day, every day. So to get to help that process move a little bit smoother for people and make it less daunting and scary is, is huge. For sure. I actually would argue that some of my first time home buyers have felt like third graders, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. Most of them are amazing, but yes, that's awesome. I feel like you're going to crush it. Well, cool. I am so excited to have you a part of today's episode, and I know we're going to learn so much together. And I just love doing these podcasts. I think it's so fun, and I'm always constantly learning too. So let's say 
listener that you are someone that is like, yes, I'm listening to this podcast, obviously, because I do want to buy a house. Or maybe I've already bought a house and I really didn't understand what happened and it was daunting or maybe it was complicated. I'm sure you've heard horror stories from people that have bought homes that maybe weren't educated. And so that's really what we're here to do. Um, And especially today, we're here to kind of help open up your mind to what this process is like and really educate you and give you a firm foundation so that when you are ready, you know different terms, you know what to look out for, and you are just that much more educated of a buyer so that you can buy a better investment, make better financial decisions, and then inevitably have more wealth for yourself later on in life. So today, let's say baby steps, toddler shoes, what is the first thing that you need to do if you want to buy a house, whether you're 16 years old or 60 years old, I would argue, and Molly, I would love for you to answer, what would you, what would you say is the first step for somebody looking to buy a house? That's why this podcast is so important because people really need to know kind of a, a roadmap because it does take a lot of moving pieces to work together. So, and they don't teach it in school. I just wish this was part of, you know, college 101 or even as you're getting your high school diploma, you can get certified in how to buy a house. So I'm excited to talk about it. I would say start with um, reaching out to a, a local real estate agent who maybe if you're not even sure of one agent, you don't want to go straight to Google, go and reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, anyone that might have had that experience with a realtor and pick their brain if they liked their experience with their realtor and see if you can get in touch with that, that professional contact. Um, that would be a good starting point, I would say. What about you? That was definitely going to be my answer is talk to a realtor first. A lot of people feel so intimidated to make that first phone call and I can see why. I mean, you just don't know, okay, am I going to have to pay for this person's time to talk to me on the phone or am I going to talk to this person and not be ready to buy? And is that going to be embarrassing for me? And so here we are, we are telling you as realtors, never be afraid to call a realtor. Getting a phone call from a potential buyer is a realtor's best day. We love, love, love helping people, especially if we're good realtors. Um, And so never be afraid of just calling a realtor or texting them and being like, hey, I'm looking to buy a house. My friend recommended you. Can we chat? If a realtor charges you to chat, don't use that realtor. I don't know anybody that does that. But if they're like, oh, by the way, you're going to have to buy me lunch. That person isn't looking out for your best interest. So don't worry about that. Also, what most people don't know is that it's typically free, completely free for a buyer to use a realtor. The realtor gets paid on the seller side of the transaction. So when you go to sell a house one day, you would then pay for the realtor commissions. But buying a home usually is free. So it's really like getting a free coach, a free mentor, a free therapist for the biggest purchase of your life. So definitely take the time and energy to interview this person and make sure that this person is active in the neighborhood that you're looking to buy in. Someone who maybe got their license 20 years ago and your parents use them, they might not know what the market is like now. And that can make or break you getting a house or not. And also the relationships that they have with other realtors are crucial as well. And if they've been out of the game for a long time, it just might hinder your chances of getting a really great house. So definitely use somebody who is active, who has great reviews online, somebody that you connect with as well. This is going to be someone that you are talking to on the phone day in and day out for a few weeks, if not months, and sometimes years. If you're a really good realtor, it would be years to come. I mean, we have clients for life that are like, I would never use anybody else. And so you really want to make sure that this is a relationship that you want to continue. So 
So take your time, interview, ask good questions, ask about what their home life is like. Are they so busy that they're not going to be able to answer the phone because they're traveling all the time? You know, are they part of a bigger team and they've got a lot of support and you know you're going to have a ton of helping hands within the process. So make sure to ask those questions. But yes, for sure, the first step is to consult a realtor. And then the next step, which some people would say this could be the first step, I would say it's the second step. The next thing you would want to do is talk to a lender. And I know for some of you, you may be like, I'm not ready to do that. You are never not ready to talk to a lender. Talking to a lender is kind of like talking to a financial planner. It's somebody who is also going to be an advocate for you for figuring out this process and can really look at your finances with you and say, okay, this is where you're at right now. This is where you need to get to. It's kind of like coming up or it's kind of like talking to a fitness coach and saying, this is where you're at now, this is where you wanna get to, let's come up with a plan together to get you there. Both parties want you to get there, right? And now this lender is gonna also be a coach for you along with your realtor to helping you get to that position so that you're able to buy. And so never be afraid of consulting your lender and you definitely wanna make sure that you are using a lender that your realtor recommends. So that's why it's great finding a realtor first because your realtor might say, hey, I have worked with that lender before and even though they've got great reviews online, it was actually a horrible process. And the person I recommend is someone I use religiously and that's this person. So they can save you a lot of trouble and heartache. Molly, would you agree with that? Yeah. Even having a list of lenders, because at any given moment, lenders might have different programs, different interest rates for sure is one, working with a broker versus a lender. So I do like to have that initial, hey, these are three lenders that I have an amazing relationship with. I know that they can close deals. They're not going to drop the ball. Buying a home is not something you should take lightly. And your finances, at least from a realtor's perspective, is not none of our business. It's that lender's you know, professional job to take care of that private information and walk you hand in hand with the realtor to getting you to that, you know, home plate and get you into that perfect home. For sure. Well, and I think too, a lot of people are like, well, can I just use my bank or can I just use a lender that I knew from out of state growing up? You definitely want to use somebody who is also active in the market that you're buying in. Again, because when you go to make an offer on a property, using a certain lender could also make or break you getting the house or not. And I can tell you a conversation I have all the time when I'm presenting an offer on behalf of my client is who's the lender? What lender is your client working with? You can have 20% down, all the great credit in the world. You can make a super clean offer. But if you're using a bad lender or a big bank that doesn't have a great reputation in that town, that might hinder you from actually getting your offer accepted. So it's very important to use somebody that your realtor has worked with before and can say, I trust this person with my life and I know that they're gonna do a great job um, because going in blindly with a lender can just be very risky. I've actually had a couple deals fall through just because of picking a bad lender. You go through all this trouble of saving money, packing your stuff, falling in love with a house, and then all of a sudden you find out that you're actually not pre-approved because the lender wasn't thorough. So you want somebody who's local, who's thorough, that's got a great reputation, and someone that your realtor loves to work with too because having a good relationship between your realtor and your lender is really important. My lender, I mean, I can text him at any hour on a weekend and be like, hey, we need to get pre-approved right now. He's like, I'll send it to you in 20 minutes. Whereas, you know, if I didn't have a strong relationship with him, it might have not been something that happened like that, and it wouldn't have been super quick. And you really want somebody who is fighting for you and really making sure that they're doing everything they can on their side of things to make things happen for you. So yeah, step number two, talk to a lender. Step number three, I would say this is something that if you're really ready to get pre-approved, this is something you could start doing. And that would be get your pay stubs in order. Obviously you are working, you're making money. 
Get your files all cleaned up because when you go to get pre-approved, you need to bring your last two year W-2s. You also need to bring in your pay stubs and that's something that is an easy thing for you to do to kind of get that ready. Do you have anything else to say about that, Molly? That's pretty self-explanatory. It's a good open conversation with you and your partner about like your future. If you're planning a career change, you don't want to be switching jobs in the middle of your escrow. So knowing your end goal with your job, if you plan to make a move, make sure it's in the same industry and yeah, have all of those documents on hand because you're going to be uploading everything <laughs> as a buyer. There's so many emails and it'll make your life a lot easier. From a buyer's perspective, it'll take one thing off your plate if you have those ahead of time. For sure. And that actually goes to step number four, which is having stable employment. If you are looking to buy a house, it's not a good idea to quit your job or to go from having a 401k, you know, steady income to all of a sudden starting a business. That is going to look like a risky a risky move for that lender to give you a loan. You want to look very stable, like you always pay your bills on time, that nothing's going to rock the boat. That's kind of how you want to look towards these banks. So yeah, having some stable employment. If you are somebody that owns your own company or if you work for yourself, a lot of people are like, well, do I need to wait until I have two years to prove my income? A lot of lenders would argue that you need to have two years of, of consistent income for them to feel comfortable loaning money to you. However, if you've got an influx of cash and you've got a ton of cash today, you might not need to get pre-approved. You can go buy a house with cash. So that's why talking to a lender is just so great, even if you are self-employed, because they will be able to look at your individual situation, your individual finances and say, actually, based on how much you're putting down, you are able to get pre-approved because you look like a very healthy buyer. So don't be too scared if you are self-employed to go ahead and start that process. Step number five, this is something I still struggle with, but have a budget. If you don't have a budget, you know, okay, buying a house, you need, you need to have your finances at least a little bit in order. For a long time, my budget was literally keeping cash in my wallet so that I didn't overspend whatever I had allotted for that week. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can budget. If that's something you struggle with, there are so many resources out there. There are apps out there that can help you track what you're spending. Don't buy anything on Amazon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can buy things on Amazon, but it's amazing how much money goes out the window just through online shopping alone and going out to eat. It's like those two things will drain your bank account. Or just don't go to Target, okay? Don't go to Target. You're going to spend way more than you need to. Even if you're just going there for dry shampoo or toothpaste, you're going to buy the cute little magnolia lamp or whatever. You don't need it. Only spend money on what you need. If you just lose your credit card or your debit card, um, you'd be surprised what sort of like subscriptions you're still paying for because those companies, they come back and they say, hey, the card that we have on file is no longer able to be charged. So um, I started that in my business like two or three years ago. Wait, so you just go to your bank and pretend like you lost it? Yeah, basically. You can cut it up. And then if you're subscribed to something on an annual like Spotify or Netflix, I mean, those aren't business expenses, but for personal use, you'll be... Yeah, subscribe to like that food subscription and not even using it and it can really save up. I mean, like thousands of dollars a month could really be misallocated and then just losing your debit card that way. Yeah. So true. That's so smart. I love that little hack. There's also a really great budgeting app called You Need a Budget. Very simple to remember. Like, oh, I need a budget. You can download the You Need a Budget app. And Mint, also I've used that one. I love using QuickBooks. Uh, especially if you are self-employed, it's really in-depth. 
And it, it's nice because you can track business expenses and personal expenses. This is not an ad. I just love QuickBooks. So there's different things that you can do. You do have to pay for QuickBooks where some of these are free, but just having a good idea of like, what am I spending per month? And for a long time, I always thought that I was not a spender. I was very frugal, but I also love to be generous and I love to host and I can spend so much money at a restaurant just being like, no, I'll buy it. No, I got this or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just spent you know, way above what I was planning on spending this week. So it's nice to kind of keep track of what you are spending and it'll really help you hone in on decision-making when you are out shopping or whatever you're doing. With budget, even just having something to make, put your mind at ease. Once you are a homeowner, there are going to be things that are going to come up as a homeowner versus a renter. So having that budget might put your mind at ease knowing that you have some allocated funds for repairs down the road or updated appliances or flooring. So tracking that ahead of time, using an app, it might make you feel that much more confident going into homeownership. 100%. Having that laid out. Definitely. I think that's so true. And even just having money saved up, not only for your down payment, but also just for incidentals. Owning a home, things go wrong. Your toilet gets clogged and Lord knows you're going to need to hire a plumber. Or maybe a windstorm comes in and you've got hail damage on your roof. You're going to need money saved up for all of those things. So, and that's all stuff we negotiate later on too. Like if there are things we know about that are wrong at the house, there's always ways to get things paid for. And of course there's homeowners insurance and things like that, but you definitely want to have a little bit of cushion and also money to just buy furniture for your house. Who wants to live in a house and then there's nothing inside. So (laughs) definitely making sure you are saving money for that kind of thing as well. The next step would be timeline, right? I would say figuring out when do I want to buy a house? Do I want to buy a house in 10 years? Because that budget might look a little bit different. Maybe you're a little bit more relaxed. Do you want to buy a house in two months? Um, There's a lot of things you need to be thinking about. And so figuring out what timeline makes the most sense for you. Maybe you know, you know, I'm going to live here only for about five years, so I'd like to buy something within the next two years because I want to avoid capital gains tax, which let me rewind a little bit. Capital gains tax is something that is taxed on you if you make money when you sell your house. So we talk about this a lot in this podcast is using homeownership to make money for you. So let's say you buy a house, it appreciates, and you go and sell that house and you make $100,000, which happens a lot. They will tax you if you make that $100,000 in less than two years, they will tax you on that around 30%. So now you're only getting $70,000 instead of $100,000. But if you live in that house for at least two years, you avoid that tax completely. And that's called capital gains. So um, if you know you're going to be leaving a city and a lot of people in Nashville, they're here for a period of time, but then they know they're going to move back to LA or move back to Chicago once they start a family or whatever. And so it's really good to know, okay, where am I going to be in the next five, 10 years? What's my plan? A lot of people think, oh, I'm only going to buy a house if I know I'm going to live there for 30 years because it's a 30 year mortgage. That is not the case for most people. I think every seven years, but I found that to be even on the long end for, for a lot of our buyers. Are people move every seven years? I think that's like a nationwide statistic, but I would imagine in places like Nashville or Phoenix, it's not not quite the 30 years. It's a generational shift. I'd be curious to see what people who are buying their first homes. I've had buyers, you know, in three, four. Yeah. And even for first time home buyers, I've seen it be a lot less. I've seen people like almost every two or three years they're moving because they outgrow it, right? It's like, oh, I bought a house by myself. Oh, I have a significant, significant other and he's a hoarder. Oh, we just had a baby and we did an office. COVID happens and 
or we just we had a baby, a we need a nursery. Yep. Yeah. And then COVID happens and oh my gosh, we need, we need a garden and we need a, a home office because we're working remotely. And then you have a second child and then your parents want to move here. They come visit a lot and you need a guest bedroom. So it, it is a lot of turnover. And so definitely consider your time frame, but don't worry about signing on for a 30 year mortgage and living in the house for 30 years. I think the only person I know that's done that is my grandma and she's been in the same house for 60 years. So <laughs> don't be like grandma. <laughs> don't be like grandma's metaphora. It's okay. And it's great to buy and sell real estate and continue to kind of upgrade your living situation. And Definitely. in doing so, you're going to start creating wealth and building equity. So don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. With the mortgage payment and the rent payment overlap is one of the bigger concerns with a lot of the buyers that I have a consultation with is when do I time the home buying process if I'm in a lease until August, but I don't want to have overlapping payments. Um, cause that would truly like affect when you buy and when you start talking with a realtor, cause people don't want to fall in love with the home and not be ready to buy it. So, um, one kind of, I don't know, trick of the trade is your mortgage payment. So let's say you close on a house in June you close and get the keys June 7th. You have the whole month of June, all of July, and your first payment isn't actually due. Your first mortgage payment isn't due until August 1st. So when we're talking with clients who maybe their lease isn't up until August, they don't have an overlapping payment, rent or mortgage, they have some time to you know, gradually move stuff out of the apartment and into the single family home that they purchased. And it's just one of those lending laws that they don't have that first payment due. And it's not even technically due until the 15th of that of that month. So I always like to educate our, our buyers on, on that trick with mortgage. Yeah, that is such a good point. I love that. And then the next step would be getting your feet wet in the market. So you've come up with the time frame. It's never too early to start seeing what the market is like in your city. And a really great way to do that, obviously, if you've already connected with a realtor, is asking them, what is the market like right now? How are things looking? Do you think it's better to buy right now or should I wait a year? Do you think I should wait six months? Is it better to buy in the spring or in the fall? And getting as much information from your realtor is a great way to learn about the market. But there's also a lot of stuff that you can do hands-on on your own to expand your horizons and get yourself ready for when you are pre-approved, you'll just be that much smarter and that much more experienced with looking at real estate. So some things that you can do, you can download um, some really great real estate apps. I love using Compass's real estate um, search platform. Their app is really great. It's super user-friendly. Um, if you're going to a restaurant in a new part of town, you can literally get on the app and it looks at your location and shows you what's available for sale. So while you're driving home, you'd be like, oh, that house right there is $350,000. And just starting to get an idea of what will I be able to afford and get a clear expectation of what your first home may look like. A lot of people that I meet with are like, oh, I want the white picket fence and the front porch and four bedrooms and da da da. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. But your budget is $175,000. So unless you're buying in the middle of nowhere, we need to kind of cut back on that dream a little bit. And maybe that's the house you buy with the equity of your first house. So don't think about your first house needing exactly. to be your dream house. Your first house can be a lily pad to launch you to your future dream house. So having a clear expectation um, and a realistic expectation is super important for first-time home buyers. And a great way to do that is to start educating yourself on your city. And there are some affordable areas, even in areas where... Um, it's gotten very expensive. So talk to your realtor about realistic expectations. They might be able to recommend some neighborhoods you've never even been to before or never considered and really kind of getting yourself familiar. Cause if you're not familiar with a part of town that they recommend, you're going to be like, 
at, at first glance, you're gonna be like, oh, I don't know if I wanna live there. I've never even heard of it. What's over there? So that's the next step is go drive around. Go check out different neighborhoods you've never been to. Ask friends, um, where did they buy? What's, what, what areas should I be considering that I'm not familiar with? It's really easy to stay within our bubble of where we go to work, where we go to church, where we drop our kids off at school, and uh, where we go on walks. And anything outside of that can seem scary. And just because something is new doesn't mean it has to be scary. It just means we need to familiarize ourselves with that area. So driving around is great. Another thing you could do is go to open houses. A lot of people think, oh, I should only go to an open house once I'm ready to buy, or that's something old people do after church on Sundays. Go to open houses. I love, I've had children come through an open house before and I fed them cookies and it was wonderful. I mean, realtors love when people just show up to their open houses. So don't be afraid. Go to as many as you want to go to. They're always free. They're always fun. It's a great way just to get ideas and really get an idea of what does a house look like in my potential price range. And then that way, once you get pre-approved and you're looking at houses online that are actual options for you, you're going to say, I've seen everything in this price range and this is the best house for sure, bar none, that I've seen in the last year in my price point, I'm going to make an offer. And that's, you know, we're not going to talk about making an offer. We have a whole nother episode about making an offer, but that's how you start to feel ready. And that's how you can trust your gut because you're just more familiar. Molly, what are your thoughts on all that? I think more often than not, it may not be in the part of town that you thought you'd be in. And I only say that because if you can kind of think of like delayed gratification, if you're buying in a market that's appreciating and you know you eventually want that third bedroom or that house with the backyard, start with a condo or a townhome and just start somewhere. Otherwise, you're going to play the wait and wait and wait and watch game. And every homeowner who sees the equity, I've I've seen every single person level up their life through homeownership. And it's, it's a great way to start. You need shelter over your head. So being a homeowner, I mean, you're paying a landlord's rent every month or their, their mortgage, I should say through your rent. And so you can start to make real big decisions. Even starting small with a condo or a townhome is a great starting point. For sure. And I feel like that totally launches us into what I would say is the final step is creating a wants and a needs list of having a realistic idea of what do I actually need in a home? I, I, I know with a lot of consultations, I'm sure you deal with this too, Molly. If I'll sit down with some people and be like, we need three bedrooms and two bathrooms. And I'm like, okay, why? And they're like, well, I guess it really is just us. And we never host anybody. And we don't really throw dinner parties. And neither of us work from home. So I'm like, okay, so it actually sounds like you only need a two-bedroom. And they're like, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, great, that really opens us up. Let's go look at two bedrooms. And they end up buying one and they save a lot of money and they, it opens them up to a whole other slew of houses yeah. they would have never seen before. Yeah. And a lot of times... It's all about price, condition, and location when buying a house. And so if the condition is a lot larger, you're going to pay a bigger price. So, or yeah, or a higher price. So if you're open to something that maybe needs a little bit of work or that is not as large, you're going to inevitably probably get a better price and maybe even a better location. For sure. So I think coming up with what you actually need and being realistic. Um, and honestly, America, we're used to oversize, upsize, um, What's the, what's the McDonald's? Super size. Yes, we're like, super size me, baby, <laughs> on everything. And bigger is not always better. I grew up in, I would say, like an average, like suburban home. 
And my Nana grew up in like a very tiny little Tudor house. She still owns it. And she's like, I'm so happy I only have 1,500 square feet because I can clean all of it. I can walk around all of it. And it's so cozy. And she raised six kids in that home. So don't feel like bigger is always better. Um, It's all about the quality over quantity in life, I would argue. You make a good point, though, about buying a house that needs like a little bit of love. I'm not very handy. So for me, it would would really be, you know, something – it would have to be turnkey – for us to move, um, which we've done. We've lived in, you know, worst part of town or the block was a little scary at night, but honestly you can find a home for your needs and it's not a want. Maybe it doesn't have the pool. I know in Arizona, that's a big one out here is having a, a backyard big enough for a pool. Well, maybe you need to build it and you can save up and budget for it in the second year of home ownership. So Yes, when we do a home search, this is how many homes in the um, price point that you have have pools and this is infinite more that have no pool and you can build one later. And we like to keep a really big search for them. Yeah. For our buyers. I think that's super smart. That's always the question I ask. I'm like, if you found the perfect house and it was the great price point, great location, and it didn't have a pool, would you be interested? And they're like, yeah, I would. So So I'm like, okay, great. Then we don't need a pool. (laughs) Um, or like a garage is another one. They're like, yeah, we have to have a two car garage. I'm like, well, do you Because if we found the perfect thing and it didn't have a garage, would that be a deal breaker? And they're like, oh, I guess it's not. So really like diving deep and being like, what really is a a must-have or just want-to-have item on your list? Um, Another thing is, like you're saying, with fixer-uppers and things and with with HGTV and Instagram, there's all this stuff that we see all the time and that we're consuming of how things need to look. And it's like, I have to have... You know, for a long time, it was, I have to have a white kitchen and I have to have subway tile. Well, now both of those things are out, guys. Newsflash, <laughs> yeah. white is out. No more subway tile. Wall- yeah, wallpapers in, you know, glossy textured tiles in, colored cabinets are in. And actually, would you believe that dark stained wood cabinets are now officially back in? Wow. Couldn't believe it. Saw it on a design blog yesterday. And I never <laughs> thought that I would see those again because those were popular when I first got into real estate, like the espresso colored cabinets. Nice. But they're back. And so I think... Having an open mind, too, of the condition of the house. of like It doesn't have to look like an HGTV designer threw up in there for you to love it. And styles go in and out. Things are trendy one day and not trendy the next. So don't get too caught up in how the house looks either because you really can fluff up any space. There are so many different hacks you can do to make a space feel super warm and welcoming and feel like your personality without having to replace tile or having to replace cabinets or appliances. Um, And just because something's old or outdated doesn't mean it's broken and not wonderful. So don't be discouraged if it doesn't look like the Instagram blogger you're (laughs) following. That's something that I... I've had to kind of draw back the curtain on with some of our first time home buyers of like, you might have an idea in your head of what you want, but just have an open mind with your first house. Just have an open mind. Because I remember my, like my nana I was telling you about that bought her house in the fifties. They bought it for $17,000 and my grandpa over time fixed it up. And now everything he did is out of style again. But back then it was all the rage. So you know, things change and I think you can always keep designing. You can always, you know, continue to make the house your home. And so not to get too caught up in, in, in how things look as they are. I think we all need that. Yeah. We have a whole episode you could listen to on like ways to manipulate your space on a budget. So even if you do buy a house and it's butt ugly, I probably shouldn't say butt ugly on a podcast and it's not up to par with your standards. <laughs> you can do a lot of things that are not super expensive to really I- emphasize the space and make the most of it. Okay. Let's go over the steps again. That would be fun. Okay. Step one, talk with realtor. Make sure they're amazing. 
Step two, talk to a lender and ask your realtor what lender they recommend. Uh, step three would be to keep track of your pay stubs and your asset statements and your W-2s and just make sure that your finances are in order, which goes to step four, which is having a stable employment or employer. Um, the next thing would be step five. And once you have a job, having some sort of budget and tracking the money that you are making and really just having a good understanding of your finances. And then the next step, step six, would be figuring out your time frame, what really, what is realistic for you in buying your home and your goals. Step seven would be getting your feet wet and looking at what's happening in your market and getting familiar with your market. And then step eight would be creating a wants and needs list. I've actually had people um, create wants and needs list on a napkin and they like bring their napkin oh. to the meeting. Um, so feel free to write it down on a notepad, even if it is your phone, put it down on paper. There's something really powerful about putting stuff on paper. Did I get all those? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Eight steps. Eight easy steps. Perfect. See, look how easy buying a house can be. Yeah. So simple and straightforward. <laughs> you'll have, I mean, if you do yes. all eight, you'll be every realtor's best friend because you're just that much more prepared and mm -hmm. it won't take a hundred homes to find and fall in love. You'll you'll pretty much go out, see homes. You've done so much research. You know the neighborhoods. You'll be dialed in on your search that you'll you'll make an offer. And with that great realtor by your side, you'll you'll get it accepted. I'm sure of it. For sure. And that just makes it easier to like. Let's say you started getting this process rolling, and let's say you started it in January. I would argue that January is one of the best months to buy a house in. Buy a house in because it's after the holidays. A lot of people are not necessarily looking at the market. They're getting their life back in order. They're doing their New Year's resolutions. They're getting back to work. And so there aren't a lot of serious buyers out to play yet because they're still getting their, their stuff together. And it hasn't yet hit the spring market. So if there's any houses on the market, January is usually a great time to buy because maybe stuff has been sitting there over the holidays. You could get a better deal. So let's say you do all eight of these steps and you start talking to a realtor in January you might be able to get a better deal just because you were so ready with listening to this podcast and following these steps that you're able to actually find a house and close on it before the spring market hits versus other people that don't listen to this podcast or haven't followed these steps and haven't really done anything and they wait and wait and kind of drag their feet and now they're coming in at a different time in the market and that can really make or break what kind of house you get and what kind of deal you get. So it's always better to be prepared because you just might be able to strike at a way better time than somebody else. And no buyer's remorse. I mean, you're going to feel so confident. Yeah about the home you're under contract on. You've had so much time to prepare and think about it and get dialed in. For sure. Well, and that's why our class exists too. So obviously listening to this podcast is great, but we have local experts in most markets now in the country where you can go to an in-person class and hear directly from the horse's mouth, what is the market like? What's it like in Phoenix? Which brings us to our next topic, but you can go to these in-person classes now and learn firsthand what's happening and really get to know some of the experts in your area and also class is free. So why would you not? But tell us, Molly, what is the Phoenix market like right now? How are things looking in Arizona? I think you hit the nail on the head with seasonally. Our winter is gearing up for spring. We do have a lot of snowbirds. So we had over six offers on my listing here in Scottsdale. It was in a 55 plus community. So wow. I will say that there are buyers out there. Um, some offers are going over ask. Um, and then you have other homes that are in not great condition that are sitting for a couple weeks. I think our average days on market is somewhere around... 60. I'll have to double check my, my quote, but, um, wow. yeah, that's a lot longer than the 30 or 40 days total. We would, um, see a lot of activity, you know, weekend one, if it's 
price right and if it's in great condition these homes are going quick so we love to work with buyers who are excited to make strong offers and and uh, we can negotiate on repairs I know you mentioned that earlier that's still a uh -huh. thing we're getting credits all over the place it's not like it was in 2020 or 2021 where you were waiving things left and right so buyers do have some middle room on negotiations which I'm all for I love saving my buyers money that's amazing. So if you didn't hear that correctly, y'all, if you're in Phoenix and you're even remotely thinking about buying a house, now is a really, really good time. It's happening like that in Nashville too. A lot of stuff is sitting longer and it's a lot easier to get a better deal as a first time home buyer. And it's been encouraging, you know, last year, if somebody got pre-approved, it's like, great, you're pre-approved and you're ready, but guess what? We probably won't be able to buy a house. Whereas, or that, I guess that was more 2021. Gosh, these years are flying by after COVID. I'm like, what's yeah. happening? Um, but now it's like, okay, you're pre-approved. Great. Let's go look at these 10 houses and maybe we can offer and get a deal on one of these. And that is like music to our ears as realtors, because our job is to get you into something that you really love and to, and to find you the right house. And before it was like fight to the death. And now we know how to fight to the death, but we don't have to. And it's a lot easier and it just makes a lot a lot happier of a process for, for us and for our buyers. So that's awesome. I need to come back out to Phoenix. I absolutely love it out there. It was so beautiful. I wasn't expecting to like the desert. Yeah. Do it before it reaches 105, 106. That's my <laughs> capping point and then I'm out. So <laughs> I won't be here. <laughs> that doesn't happen till like right around Memorial weekend. And it's just brutal. Oh. We get monsoons. It's it's cheese, you know? Yeah. You know what? There are pros and cons. It's like, you know, you always think the grass is greener. We, you know, we, we've got pretty moderate weather, but then we also have really bad tornadoes. So it's like, you know, you gotta win some and lose some. <laughs> I hear you. I'd love to visit Nashville. Yeah. You need to come for sure. Molly, this was so fun. I feel so, I just feel happy. I feel like we are like mother hens and we're like helping our chicks understand the process of buying a house. <laughs> and today was like, this is the first time. Nothing makes me happier. Like nothing makes me happier than helping people too. Yes. And I'm so grateful for podcasts like this. I learned so much through podcasts. So anyone listening, if you, if you learned something today, it would mean the world to me. Like my love language is words of affirmation, hearing from people that something resonated today would be just the best. For sure. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me and, and giving us all of your knowledge. And if you are listening to this and you're in Phoenix, definitely give Molly Abdi a call and reach out to her. Again, she would love to hear from you. Follow her on Instagram. You can keep up with her and you can also attend her in-person How to Buy a House classes. You just go to howtobuyahouseclass.com and you can read all about Molly, find her contact information and sign up for her upcoming classes there. But Molly, thank you so much for embarking all of your wisdom on us today. And for any of you listeners, if you are in the Phoenix, Arizona market, if you're outside of Scottsdale or Arcadia, Molly Avdi is our how to buy a house class representative out there. She's amazing. And you can go to her in-person classes all around Phoenix. You can also follow her on Instagram and you can get all of her information at howtobuyahouseclass.com. And Molly, thank you again for today. It was so great to get to know you a little bit more and hear all about you. And thanks for all your time. Made it easy. It's so fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> is it more fun than teaching to third, third graders? <laughs> this is a lot easier. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks Molly again. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye. 
Stay tuned for more episodes from the How to Buy a House class. You can follow us on Instagram. We're at the How to Buy a House class. You can also email us. Yes, we still use email and we would love to connect to you that way as well. You can reach us directly at hello at howtobuyahouseclass.com. And I also would love to connect with you. My Instagram handle is at Jess Lou Randolph. And we hope you have a fabulous day. Thanks for listening and God bless you.